you should be standing in front of the South Carolina Monument to the Confederate Dead, an obelisk on a high base in front of the South Carolina State House facing Gervais Street. This monument is in a really prominent place. It sits on the imaginary line that connects Main Street, the building, the statue of George Washington, and the sculptures by Henry Kirk Brown that we talked about in the last episode. I'm Dr. Lydia Brandt, and this is Historically Complex, a tour of the South Carolina State House grounds, brought to you by Historic Columbia with a grant from South Carolina Humanities. If you're not at the State House grounds in Columbia right now, that's fine. Visit historiccolumbia.org slash monuments to follow along with an interactive map, to see historic photographs, or to get more information. Also keep an eye out for my guidebook to the grounds, which will be released by the University of South Carolina Press in May 2021. Walk around the base of the statue and notice all the different weapons used on the battlefields of the Civil War fought between the South or the Confederate States of America and the North or the Union Army between 1861 and 1865. Look up to see the sculpture of the lonely soldier standing watch on the picket line. Unlike other monuments to Confederate heroes, including that of Wade Hampton here on the Statehouse grounds, this sculpture represents the common soldier rather than a single or elite hero. At first glance, this monument seems to be entirely about the Civil War. But look at the date of the unveiling on the front of the monument, May 13, 1879. By looking to the motivations behind this monument, we can understand what it meant in 1879, almost 15 years after the Civil War, but even more recently, after the violent end to Reconstruction. When Columbians awoke in February 1865 to find the city burned and their magnificent statehouse damaged, they never could have imagined the immense change that the state and the nation would go through over the next decade. This period is called Reconstruction. It was a nationwide attempt to unify the country after it was ripped apart by the Civil War and to realize the civil rights of newly emancipated slaves. The Reconstruction-era government was a completely different political party, a completely different group of men than had built the State House with Calhoun's speech in the cornerstone, the statue of George Washington in the front, and the sculptures by Henry Kirk Brown. But the politicians who hired Henry Kirk Brown and chose the sculpture of George Washington were not the first to legislate from this building. In a complete affront to their intentions, the first General Assembly to legislate from this new state house in 1869 was biracial. It consisted of white and black men, including former slaves, who because of the Civil War had earned the right to vote and hold political office. This elaborate building meant to proclaim the rights of slaveholders, the symbol of oppression, became a place for change that John C. Calhoun and McDuffie and Hayne, the politicians on the front of the State House that we talked about last time, could never have imagined. The biracial General Assemblies elected during Reconstruction who worked in this building are still the only majority black state legislatures in the history of the United States. 
as black and white men worked together in the new state capital to imagine a new South Carolina under reconstruction. Many white people, devastated economically by emancipation and horrified to see their former slaves holding positions of power, grouped together to resist the government and to commemorate the war that they'd lost so recently. A group of women, the South Carolina Monument Association, formed to create the Monument to the Confederate Dead. They hoped that this statue would stand not only to honor the sons, brothers, and husbands that they had lost, but also to rationalize their loss in the war, to argue that the war was about honor, not slavery. Go back and read the inscription on the monument. Recognize that these were men whom power could not corrupt, whom death could not terrify, whom defeat could not dishonor. This monument was a defense of not only the life that was lost, but also the livelihoods that were lost, the way of life in which white people held unquestioned power over black people, the loss of confidence in the ideas buried in the cornerstone of the statehouse. When the women of the South Carolina Monument Association first commissioned this monument, they never imagined that it could be erected here in front of the building occupied by the biracial Reconstruction Era government. But by the time the statue was finished in the late 1870s, the political tide had turned. After the violent and fraudulent elections of 1876 suppressed votes of newly enfranchised Black people, Reconstruction ended. And Wade Hampton III, a Confederate general and the heir to one of the largest plantation fortunes in the state, was elected governor. White South Carolinians' resistance against Reconstruction had worked, and the South Carolina Monument Association appealed to the new legislature, asking about the possibility of erecting this monument on the state house grounds. The white post-Reconstruction legislature was eager to commemorate what they called their redemption of the state. So they gave the women permission to erect this monument on the grounds, originally just to the left of where the portico stands now. When this monument was unveiled in May 1879, it stood as a repudiation to that biracial Reconstruction-era government that had just been ousted. Even though this monument commemorated a loss of a war, it also celebrated the win over Reconstruction and the return to power of those who believed in the oppression of Black people. Just three years later, the Confederate monument was hit by lightning. The sculpture at the top was decapitated. When it was repaired, the monument was moved to where it stands now, in front and on axis, or right through the center line of Main Street and the State House. This was an even stronger assertion of the former Confederates' belief in their righteousness and their right to control the state government. In the decades that followed, the legislatures that held power in this building enacted laws that walked back the rights that Black South Carolinians gained after emancipation. Turn west to the river. You'll see a sculpture that commemorates what happens after Reconstruction, the monument to Benjamin Ryan Tillman. Walk over to it. This man, also called Pitchfork Ben Tillman, 
was governor of South Carolina and represented the state in the U.S. Senate in the decades following Reconstruction at the end of the 19th century and into the beginning of the 20th. Walk around the statue. Tillman stands alone on a tall granite pedestal. Unlike the statue of George Washington, this bronze figure is not leaning on anything. He holds a rolled-up piece of paper in his right hand as if he's just given a speech. He's more than one and a half times life-size, a commanding presence. If you look closely at his left eye, you see the damage left by a childhood injury. So the outer layer of this statue tells us that this person was important. But in order to understand what that importance meant to the people who paid for this statue and who enacted the laws that put it here, we need to ask questions about what motivated them and what they thought this statue meant. Just like the Confederate monument, the moment in which this statue was dedicated can tell us a lot about what this statue meant to the people who paid for it. Look at the front of the base where it says that the monument was dedicated on May 1st, 1940. If you walk around the back of the monument, you see a list of names of the people who fundraised for it. They chose to celebrate Tillman after his death, just as black activists fought for their civil rights that politicians like Tillman had denied them. Over the 1930s, black people had gained traction advocating for anti-lynching legislation, equal access to jobs, and their right to vote. Rights guaranteed to them during Reconstruction, and which men like Ben Tillman had actively suppressed. Tillman dedicated his life to populist politics and white supremacist ideals. He pushed back against the elite South Carolinians like Wade Hampton, who led the state out of Reconstruction, and he rallied poor white people against them. He was a proud leader of the Red Shirts, an organization of white men that wore red shirts as they terrorized and murdered black people. In the years in which the women of the South Carolina Monument Association were raising money for the Confederate monument, their husbands and brothers were leading an insurrection alongside Tillman, who was nicknamed Pitchfork Ben. Throughout his career as a politician after Reconstruction, Tillman worked to undo the civil rights that African Americans had gained following emancipation. The piece of paper that he holds in his hand could represent one of his famously bigoted speeches, or it could be the 1895 South Carolina Constitution, which he helped to engineer. The Constitution made it almost impossible for African Americans to vote and laid the groundwork for Jim Crow laws that would segregate South Carolinians and suppress Black people well into the middle of the 20th century. The bronze plaques on the side of the monument subtly tell you what Tillman is remembered for with this particular statue. If you read the plaque on the left side of the base, the side facing the State House, you'll see that it says, Loving them, he was the friend and leader of the common people. He taught them their political power and made possible for the education of their sons and daughters, Clemson Agricultural College and Winthrop Normal and Industrial College. People reading this plaque when this monument was erected in 1940 would have known that common people 
meant white people, and that Clemson and Winthrop were established explicitly and only for white students. In fact, Tillman said throughout his lifetime that he did not believe that African Americans could or should be educated. He actively denied that Black people could self-govern, delegitimizing the biracial general assemblies that followed the Civil War. He forcefully argued that Black people could and should not have control over their lives and certainly had no place in the political process. All of this is celebrated when this monument is dedicated in 1940, as Black people are organizing for more equal treatment. In fact, the South Carolina Conference for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP, was formed in 1939, just months before the unveiling of this sculpture. Like the Confederate monument, the layers of intention and motivation behind the Tillman Monument are tied to the moment in which it was built. They are lasting symbols of the reactions that white people had to the advancement of black people during Reconstruction. In bronze and granite and on high pedestals in front of the State House, they assert that the way forward for South Carolina into the 20th century was a suppression of the civil rights that black people gained following emancipation. I'm Dr. Lydia Brandt, and this is Historically Complex, a tour of the South Carolina Statehouse grounds, brought to you by Historic Columbia with a grant from South Carolina Humanities. Thank you for listening to these episodes. For more information on this site, visit historiccolumbia.org monuments and keep an eye out for my guidebook, which will be published by the University of South Carolina Press in May 2021. See you later. This podcast was written by me, Lydia Brandt, Associate Professor of Art and Architectural History at the University of South Carolina. It was produced by Jake Irwin. The music was composed and performed by Jake Irwin. Special thanks go in this episode to Lindsay Jacobs and Courtney Thomas. 